Thanks for listening to this Ave Maria radio podcast. Be sure to share it with your friends and family and across social media. Building the church so we can bless the nations. This is Ave Maria radio. Crusta in the afternoon. I am Gary Machuda sitting in for the great El Crusta. And scripture commands us to be able to give an explanation for the hope that is in us. And I know many of us feel, uh, I don't know if I'm really cut out for it. I'm just an ordinary person. I don't really know a lot about the faith. I'm just a blue collar Catholic. You know, how can I share and defend the faith? Well, to help us blue-collar Catholics learn how to explain the faith, we have the blue-collar apologist himself, John Martinoni, with us in his brand-new book, Blue-Collar Apologetics, How to Explain Defend the Catholic Faith Using Common Sense, Simple Logic, and the Bible. It's put out by EWTN Press. And John Martinoni, welcome to Crest in the Afternoon. Gary, good to be on with you. Uh, it's always a joy to have you on board, and uh, you know, when I think about blue-collar apologetics, I think about you, my friend, because you have worked in the trenches. Yes, indeed. I've, I've, I tell people, I tell, over the last, uh, I don't know, I guess it's coming up 23 years or so since I've been doing apologetics publicly, I've probably talked to, I don't know, 3,000, 2,000, 3,000 or more non-Catholic Christians, not to mention atheists and other such, uh, but just the non-Catholic Christians. I've talked to so many of them that uh, I realize, I say, you know, there, there's, there's easy ways to respond to these questions, whether you're talking to a Baptist, Evangelical, Methodist, non-denominational, fundamentalist, church, all the questions are basically the same. All the attacks are the same. So why not devise just simple ways to respond to all these that anybody and everybody can use? And that's kind of how blue-collar apologetics developed. Yeah. Now, you yourself, what was your background? Did you get a theological degree and... <laughs> You know, biblical studies? <laughs> no, no, my degree's in finance. I've got a corporate finance degree from the University of Alabama, Roll Tide, uh, MBA, and then uh, I did a year of Ph.D. work in finance, but didn't like the Ph.D. Uh, program because it, it, was comp- it was complicated. They complicated finance. They, instead <laughs> of finance, which I love, they turned it into math and statistics and they complicated it, which was kind of, when I first realized, I said, you know, I just like things simple, mm-hmm. simple, basic, that I can figure out with common sense and a little logic and, and go from there. And that's, that's kind of been my, I guess, one of my strengths uh, in doing apologetics. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you are, um, I guess, example number one, that uh, you don't have to have degrees in theology, biblical studies, all that stuff, to, to be a, a formidable apologist, and that's exactly what you are. No, but no, you don't. Well, I you just need the and, and I'll, just, I'll just add that I have met people who have the degrees, and sometimes getting a degree doesn't, I mean, it hurts you in the, in the field of apologetics rather than helps you, because you start getting all these fancy terms, and 
terminology in your head. You want to explain things in, in this uh, erudite and, and scholarly way, and people don't need to be explained to with those all those fancy terms. They just need basic common sense simple logic. So not not I'm not and I'm not discouraging anybody from getting a theology degree. I'm just saying mm-hmm. if you do be careful when you're explaining the faith to just regular old folks because don't use all that stuff you got in the classroom. Break it down. That's right. Yeah, yeah, it's really easy when you have all that uh book knowledge to speak over people's heads. <laughs> yeah. And and you know me since I'm so tall, that's just a natural thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, so uh, so how did the idea to put this in book form come about? Well, you know, I have this newsletter, email newsletter that I send out probably, uh, it averages probably once every couple weeks or so. It, it, so, you know, 22 to 25 issues a year. And after a couple, three years, uh, and I've been doing this now for, oh, probably 15, 18 years, well, after a few years, people started saying, hey, can you, can you write a book and put all this stuff in a book? You know, this is mm-hmm. good stuff. We want, and, and I was like, yeah, you know, why not? And, and so the idea's been bouncing around in my head for, uh, like I said, at least 15 years. And probably about four or five years ago, I started to write. I said, you know, why don't I just make my newsletter? Why don't I start writing the chapters of my book in my newsletter? And I did that for a little bit, but then it got to where, no, I, I, it's not working out for the newsletter format that I generally, because in my newsletter, I use a lot of um, dialogues with, with evangelicals and with Protestant apologists and so forth. So just writing a, you know, the book in the newsletter didn't work out too well. But then, you know, so I've had it in my head, and, and about uh, a year ago, I said, I am going to set aside time to write this book, to finish this book, to put it all together. And I approached EWTN, and they said, yes, we want to publish this. And I said, all right. So now that I've got a signed contract, that forced, and they paid me a little bit of money up front, that forced me to find the time and, and write this book. So it, it's been a long time in the making, and I'm, I'm glad it, it, it's finally out there. Yeah, and one thing I love about your approach, it really is nuts and bolts approach to apologetics. You, you don't get into a lot of theory or anything like that, but it's just plain common sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I tell people, I, I, I tell Catholics, you know, because in the book, and you know, we've talked about this on, on your show a number of times, uh, I use different strategies that I realized in, in my conversations with Protestants. I'm going back to the same type of questions and same line of questioning and, and same, say, you know, using the same modes of thinking and that, no matter what the questions were. And so I, I developed, I realized, I said, well, I'm using like four basic strategies. And one of them is uh, how to be offensive without being offensive. And what I do with that is I teach people how to ask questions. Because, you know, as a Catholic, when we get approached by someone trying to evangelize us, trying to pull us out of the harlot of Babylon, which many Protestants think the Catholic Church is, they're always asking this question. Well, where in the Bible does it say anything about Mary's immaculate, uh, you know, whatever it is? And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, it's called the Immaculate Conception, and 
you know, well, where is that in the Bible? Where in the Bible does it say anything about baptizing babies? Where in the Bible does it say about confessing your sins? Where in the Bible is this? Where in the Bible is that? It's like, well, so what I talk out, I said, well, common sense. If somebody asks you a question, you have the right to ask them a question. <laughs> so I teach Catholics, like, well, where in the Bible does it say anything about Wednesday night prayer services? You know, yeah. where in the Bible does it say we are saved or justified by faith alone? Uh, where in the Bible does it say Mary wasn't assumed into heaven? It's just, it's that easy to stop somebody in their tracks and make them think about what it is they believe and, and, and why, as much as they're trying to make you think about what you believe and why. And, and I say, tell Catholics, for every question you get, you ought to ask at least one question, if not two. And, and I show Catholics, I said, this is so easy. And it's so easy that when you learn these, these strategies and, and basically apply them to your own particular situations, it gets fun. People enjoy learn, uh, uh, sharing the faith or talking about the faith with others. Uh, even if they get hammered with Bible verses, they still love it because they know now, well, there's a way I can answer all these questions. And, and like you said, you, you don't have to have a degree in theology. You don't have to have the Bible memorized or anything like that. It's, it's a lot of common sense, a lot of simple logic. And then when you get sure of yourself, then you start learning the Bible verses as well and how to apply them and how to ask questions based on this Bible verse or that Bible verse. And you just start going to town with this whole evangelization thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, and I wonder if this is your experience, too, is usually the people asking questions never really thought past that question. Usually <laughs> put them on their heels. Yes. And that's I have been. Yeah. I don't know how it is up in, in the Detroit area, but down here in Alabama, I have been to churches that have had seminars on how to evangelize Catholics. OK, mm-hmm. these me- Protestant mega churches. Every, every so often, one of them will. You know, somebody will call me and say, John, my, my wife goes to this church, and, and, and I went with her, and they've got a thing in their bulletin about a seminar on how to evangelize Catholics. Could you, could you come over to that? And, and, and so I've been to some of these, and they teach people, okay, Catholics don't know the Bible, and when you ask them this question and this question and hit them with this series of questions, they won't know what to do, and you'll have them back on their heels and sputtering and blah, 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 blah. And, and you'll, that's going to start them on their way out of the Catholic Church. You're going to save that Catholic soul. Mm-hmm. And they never teach them how to deal with a Catholic who can answer their questions or how to deal with a Catholic who asks them questions. So you're absolutely <laughs> right. They don't know. You ask a question, somebody asks you a question, you answer it, and then you ask them a question. Uh, well, all of a sudden they're like, well, uh, uh, uh and, and they're sputtering and blubbering, and you and the Catholic sees immediately. Wait a minute, you know I've always been told the Bible is a Protestant book. It's ab- actually a Catholic book. It's ours in the Catholic Church, and I can use the Bible. Um, and I don't want to—I'll say against these Bible Christians, but I, not so much against them, but against their theology, their false theology. And when a Catholic realizes that, you know, somebody's kind of been sitting on the side because they don't want to get beat over the head by the Bible, by 
talking about their faith with an evangelical or something, when they start realizing, no, I can do this, and I can do it with the Bible, like I said, it gives them immense confidence in their own faith, and it gives them immense confidence to go out and share their faith. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you actually help the Bible Christian learn more about the Bible. Exactly, exactly. We, 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 I tell people what I do is I teach Catholics how to talk Bible to Bible Christians. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and uh, and they're usually grateful. Uh, th- that totally changes the whole thing from, you know, you throw out your proof text, I'll throw out mine, and, you know, it also it devolves into an argument. But when you're asking questions, people normally don't get uh, angry about asking questions. I hear the music coming up. We're chatting with John Martinoni about his new book, Blue Collar Apologetics, through EWTN Press. You're listening to Creston Afternoon. We'll be right back. in the afternoon. I'm Gary Machuda sitting in for the great El Cresta. We are talking with the blue-collar apologist himself, John Martinoni, a familiar voice for those who listen to EWTN. And we're talking about his brand new book, Blue-Collar Apologetics, How to Explain and Defend Catholic Teaching Using Common Sense, Simple Logic, and the Bible. It's available through EWTN. And John, you know, right before the break, we were talking about uh, the first of those four basic principles that you instill in the book, uh, how to uh, be on offense without being offensive. Uh, What's the next principle you try to instill? Well, actually, I kind of got out of my normal order. The first (laughs) one I generally teach people Mm -hmm. is the easiest one. It's called the ignorant Catholic strategy. Okay, All that is based on is the fact that a lot of Catholics are ignorant about their faith. And actually, every Catholic is ignorant about their faith in some way or another. So, And the fact that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Protestants are taught a lot of times, well, the Catholics don't know the Bible. They're ignorant about the Bible. So, hey, just use that to your advantage. So the ignorant Catholic strategy, all it is is, let's say, Gary, I'm an evangelical, and I'm asking you, as a Catholic, you know, where in the Bible does it say anything about purgatory? And you, as a Catholic, you know, if you're embarrassed about, well, you're saying in your head, I have no clue. I've never heard of this question before. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And you try to, you know, give it some half-baked answer, or or you hem and haw, and I tell people, I say, no, just say, I don't know, but I will find out and get back to you. And boom, you're out of a jam. You can use that anytime, anywhere. It, it doesn't matter who you're talking to. You don't know the answer to a question. Say, oh, good question. Never thought about that. i I got to be honest. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm, I'm going to go look it up. I'll get an answer for you, and I'll get back to you. And then you get back to them after you've looked it up, 
you know, online or talked to somebody or, or you know, looked up something on, you know, on a, in an article. And then you can email them. You can uh, call them. You can talk to them. You can do it how, when, and where you want to do it. So, in essence, you've taken back control of the conversation. You can do it a day later, a week later, a month later. But you get back to them. And that's, that's the ignorant Catholic strategy. And I, I had people email me say, just receiving permission, as they put it, to not know something about their faith has made them go out and start evangelizing everybody and anybody. And, and this one guy said, I love now talking about my faith, and I really enjoy it when somebody asks me a question that I don't know. You know, whereas in the past, he was afraid of questions that he didn't know the answer to. But now he loves them because I just tell him, I don't know, but I'll find out and get back to you. And then it gives me the opportunity uh, and the impetus to go look up something about my faith that I didn't know. So it helps him to learn his faith as well as to share his faith. So that's the ignorant Catholic. Then there's how to be offensive without being offensive. That's learning how to ask questions. The third one is, but it's the principle of the thing. And this is where bringing in the Bible a little bit more, but no, like you said, not necessary to have a degree in Scripture studies or anything. And basically it's just learning how to pull Catholic principles out of Scripture. You know, uh, I mentioned earlier the question a lot of Catholics get, the uh, where is purgatory in the Bible? Well, the word purgatory is not in the Bible, but the principles about purgatory are in the Bible. For example, in 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 Second uh, Samuel, there's a scene where Nathan the prophet comes to David and basically tells him a story that David eventually realizes. Well, this story is about me. It's about the fact that I, David, have committed uh, adultery and essentially had my you know, mistress's husband had him killed in battle or allowed him to be killed in battle. And so David repents of his sin. And Nathan the prophet says, well, you've repented, so the Lord has put away your sin. In other words, he's forgiven. But, the prophet adds, since you've done this thing, the child that is born to you shall die. So there's a principle here. There is punishment due to sin even after the sin has been forgiven. Huh, that's interesting. Then you go to Revelation 21, and, well, nothing unclean will enter the New Jerusalem, which is heaven. So that's a pretty straightforward principle. Nothing unclean, or or you could say nothing with the stain of sin, will enter heaven. Third principle, in Hebrews 12, there's a, a verse about coming to Mount Zion to to the God who is God over all, to the assembly of the angels, and to the souls of the just made perfect. Most people just, you just rewrite through that. But you stop and you say, wait a minute, the souls of the just made perfect. Well, that implies there's some means or process by which the souls of the just, or we would say the souls of those who die in a state of grace, are made perfect. And then one more, 1 Corinthians 3, verses uh, about 10 through 15, talks about this place where after you die, 
Your works will be tested as through fire. And if you didn't do works that were so hot that, you know, maybe I uh, fell apart here, fell down here, fell short there, well, those works will be burned up and you will suffer loss as through fire, yet still be saved. Well, the question is, where is this place that after you die, your works are tested and you could suffer loss as through fire, yet still be saved? It's not hell. You don't get saved once you get to hell. It's not heaven. You don't suffer loss as through fire in heaven. So there must be this other place or state of being. <clears throat> Excuse me. So put all four of those principles together. There's punishment due to sin even after the sin has been forgiven. There is uh, nothing with the stain of sin enters heaven. There's some process by which the souls of the just are made perfect. And there's some place or state of being that after you die, you could suffer loss as through fire, yet still be saved. Put all that together, and I tell people, I say, you call that whatever you want. We Catholics call that purgatory. Okay? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's not a lot of scripture either. I mean, it's no. just four verses. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, a couple of the verses are just very straightforward. Mm-hmm. And, and then the other two, you just, well, you have to think a little bit, but it's not, but it, again, it's using common sense and simple logic. It's not using some theology degree that you've gotten. And then the, the fourth um, strategy I teach people is called, but that's my interpretation. Mm-hmm. You know, Gary, you know, probably the only doctrine or dogma that, that comes close, if it's not a universal Protestant teaching, is sola scriptura. Okay? And almost every Protestant I've ever run into uses, believes in sola scriptura, going by the Bible and the Bible alone. If it's not in the Bible, I don't have to believe it, is basically what they say. So, but the, there's a corollary there is that, well, every Protestant who can read gets to read the Bible and decide for themselves what is or is not authentic Christian doctrine and practice. Okay? They are their own authorities when it comes to reading the Bible. And, you know, of course, they'll tell you, well, you need to pray to the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit guide you. But each and every Protestant is allowed to read the Bible for themselves to determine for themselves what is true and what is false in terms of doctrine and practice in the Christian faith. So, by their theology, you have the right to read Scripture for yourself and come up with your own interpretation. So, if you're talking to someone about the Eucharist and you pull out John 6, verses 51 through 58, and you say, right here, Jesus says, eat my body, drink my blood. If you eat my body and drink my blood, you will have, you will have eternal life, etc. I will raise you up at the last day. And you say, well, that's talking about the Eucharist. And the, the evangelical you're talking to says, no, no, that's a bad interpretation of Scripture. That, you know, that doesn't work. You say, wait a minute. Don't you believe I have the right to read the Bible for myself and determine for myself, as I feel guided by the Holy Spirit, to, to interpret the Bible? Well, yes, I do. Well, that's my interpretation. Hmm. And I call that Catholics ace in the hole, because... Essentially, what, what's going on here is by Protestant theology, anytime you have a discussion about the faith, the, the, the Catholic faith, Protestant faith, the Bible, whatever, the best the Protestant can do under Protestant theology is his or her 
private, fallible interpretation of Scripture versus your private, fallible interpretation of Scripture. So it's a tie. That's the best they can do. And that's the worst you can do as a Catholic. And then, and I've had Protestants say, well, but after I've given them a verse and told them an explanation of the verse, they'll say, well, John, but that's your private, fallible interpretation. You said, that's the best you can do. I said, no, no, that's the best you can do. Under my theology, the best I can do is the infallible teaching of the Church founded by Jesus Christ and guided by the Holy Spirit versus your private, fallible interpretation of the Bible. And, you know, you can imagine the, the responses. Well, they, uh, they don't really like that. <laughs> but they realize there's something. They, they, when I use that lie, which I've used it a lot, people generally go, well, well wait a minute, that's, that's not right. But they have no comeback to it. Yeah. And so that's, that's, but that's my interpretation. That's every Catholic who can read has the authority by Protestant theology to read the Bible for themselves and come up with their own interpretation. Now, the Catholic interpretation, obviously, is going to be one that's guided by the Church. You know, you're not going to go off making your own crazy interpretations of the Bible. Uh, but, you know, so what I tell Catholics, I said, as long as you keep the Church at your back, you cannot lose a debate, an argument, a discussion, what a dialogue about the faith and about the Bible. You just cannot. Yeah, and you used that in the debate, too, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, with a, a Church of Christ preacher, and, and I used that with him, and he had no comeback. I used it with the, the pastor of a, a, a Bible church, and he, he, when I said that to him, he just he turned bright red. He wasn't happy. And um, yeah. I said, well, I'm sorry, but, you know, tell me otherwise. Give me an argument saying I'm wrong. And he couldn't. What, what he started, yeah, well, you know, why do you guys worship Mary? <laughs> Wait a minute. We're not talking about Mary right now. Let's get back to this. So he tried to switch the topic. And that's what will happen a lot of times because they cannot give you a, a rational, cogent, scripturally consistent response to that argument. They just can't. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, John, where can people go to get your book? Well, you can go to EW10RC.com, EW10RC for religiouscatalog.com, and just type in Blue Collar in the search engine, and you'll see my book and, and my TV series as well by the same name, but it's right there. Awesome. Well, thank you, John, for coming on Crust in the Afternoon. My pleasure, Gary. Enjoyed it, as always. All right, that's John Martinoni. I'm Gary Machuda sitting in for L. More to come. <laughs>